Let's take our Bibles tonight, and uh, I'll be honest, I've really struggled with the direction for, uh, for the services, and uh, so that might make some of you nervous. It definitely makes me nervous. I'm, I like it when God gives clear direction. Uh, last year I preached here, and like four weeks leading up to it, I had clear direction. I knew what I was going to be preaching, and uh, I've been in the room all afternoon uh, not sleeping. <laughs> And uh, But I, I believe uh, this is what the Lord has for us, and uh, this is where we're going to go. Isaiah chapter 59, and uh, I just, I love the gospel. Thank God for the gospel. It's the power of God and salvation. You know what I've come to learn is the gospel's not just for sinners. I need the gospel, and God's people need the gospel, and we need to hear it over and over again. And so I've, just for the help of the Lord tonight, I want to preach the gospel and I hope it will be a help to all of us. If you are able to do so and willing, I'll ask you to stand and we'll reverence the word of God. <clears throat> Isaiah 59, and I'm going to read uh, just a couple verses. Beginning in verse number 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Look down in verse number 16. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. And I want to preach on the thought, the mighty hand of God to save. Father, we bow in your presence this evening, and we thank you, Lord, for what we've already heard in these days. We thank you for the privilege that it's been to be here and to fellowship with the saints of God and to be able to hear the word of God as it's been preached in its clarity and in its power. Lord, I have been fed, I have been challenged, I have been rebuked, I have been exhorted by the word of God, and I'm thankful for that. Thank you for the ministry of the Word of God from the men of God in these days, and thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to apply that truth to our hearts and to help us in our walk with you to grow up and to be spiritual and mature believers in Christ. I pray that as we look now to the text once again and we consider the thoughts that are before us, I pray that you would fill us afresh with the Spirit of God. Help us, Lord, to have unction to preach, not in the energy of the flesh, but in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Lord, help us to preach, Lord, to the end that, Lord, your people would be strengthened, your name would be exalted. And if there are any amongst us, Lord, in this number tonight that's not saved, I pray that, Lord, your spirit would draw them unto faith in Christ and that, Lord, we might witness the conversion of a sinner, Lord, for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I know Isaiah, of course, it is a prophetic book in the Old Testament, and when you look at the prophetic prophecy of Isaiah, he's prophesying during a time of a great falling away. There were a few moments of revival that they experienced, and uh, but during this time, God is pronouncing the pending judgment, the doom that's going to come upon Israel. But uh, as it's been stated by, by some, that Isaiah is the uh, fifth gospel and others have referred to it as the gospel of Isaiah. And I'm thankful that throughout all of the instruction and the prophecy that Isaiah gave, there was also a word of hope, there was a word of salvation, 
and uh, there was a word of redemption through God Almighty, and I'm thankful that even in days of darkness and in days of doom and in days of pending judgment, I think we can look around in our country and see that that's exactly what is coming down the line. I'm grateful that there is a God in heaven whose hand is mighty to save, even in the darkest of times and the in the most desperate of situations, we have a God in heaven who can save the most hopeless of cases. And uh, that's what I really want to think about this evening together, is how that God saves sinners. How God saves sinners. And first of all, I think of all the sinners who have been saved. And what an encouraging thought that is. When I think about what the Lord's done in my own heart and life, and I look around this audience and I see the many who have professed faith in Christ, and we think about all the sinners that God has saved, does it not give us hope that he's able to save again and again and again? The text says, therefore his arm brought salvation in verse number 16. And the word brought there in the Hebrew is a word that is sometimes translated as fetch. And uh, I got to thinking about here that God's arm fetched salvation Thank God for the day His hand fetched salvation. I'm glad for the day God fetched me. Has there ever been a moment in your life you can look back and see where the God of heaven came down to where you were on your road to sin? Maybe you were looking for satisfaction at the end of a bottle and the empty bottle in your hand. Or maybe it was in a needle. Or maybe it was in a relationship. Or maybe it was in religion. Cold, dead, formalistic religion. And then the God of heaven crossed your path on your road to hell. And uh, there he made himself real to you. And he revealed himself in saving grace. And hallelujah, what a blessing when the God of heaven comes after his sheep. And he fetches us and brings us unto himself. Uh, the same word is used whenever it speaks of uh, David sending out uh, the messengers to get Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. And it says they went and fetched him and brought him. And uh, they went to a place uh, uh, that nobody else wanted to go to. It was a place, uh, a loaded bar, a place uh, uh, that had no reputation. And yet they went looking for Mephibosheth and brought him to the king. I'm thankful for the day that the Spirit of God came and fetched me and brought me to the king. It says the Lord's arm brought salvation. I'm thankful that God has fetched many a sinner I think about since the days of Adam all the way to this very present moment in human history, uh, God's arm has brought salvation again and again and again. People from every nation, people from every class. I mean, think about it. People of every age, people of every ethnic background. God's hand has not been shortened that it cannot save. Neither has His ear been heavy that it could not hear. But God, from the very beginning of the creation into this very moment, He has saved many sinners. God came searching for Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned. And you know the story they had gone about to try to clothe themselves in their own righteousness, having sown fig leaves together. And yet the Lord came searching for them, and his hand was not shortened. Thought about Abel, how that he, uh, by the grace of God, had had the acceptable sacrifice revealed unto him, whether it was mom and dad or even God himself that had revealed that. Abel knew what God expected, and Abel brought that sacrifice accepting, and God's hand was not shortened that it could not save. Thought about the walk 
that Enoch had with God. It says God walked with Enoch and he was not for God took him and God's hand was not shortened. What about Noah? He obeyed God to the salvation of his household. The salvation of humanity. God spared the human race. We're here tonight and we're able to call upon the name of the Lord God Almighty and experience His saving grace and His pleasure and His favor all because Noah found grace in the sight of God and God's hand was not shortened that it could not save. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. God's hand was not shortened that it could not save. Yes, even before circumcision or the giving of the law, there was God's grace at work in the heart and in the life of one of His own for whom Christ would surely die when He came into this world. I'm simply saying God's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. I think about how hard it is uh, uh, many times in my life. I won't speak for you. I'll speak for myself tonight. But how often it is hard to be patient with people that offend us. <laughs> Especially uh, people that do it over and over and over and over again. But it's not so with God. He's long-suffering, not willing that any of us should perish, but that all should come into repentance. I'm glad God just keeps on saving. He keeps on saving. He keeps on saving. When humanity has gone as far as it can in the opposite direction away from God, we've rebelled against every law. We've broken every commandment. We've twisted every principle. And yet God in heaven, who's long-suffering and merciful toward mankind, is still saving sinners. Why? Because His hand is mighty to do so. I think of all the sinners God saved, but then I think about all the sins that God has forgiven. Who can count the thoughts? Oh, Lord, help us. Who can count the thoughts or the words or the deeds which He has forgiven? I can't even count all the thoughts and the words and the deeds and my own life that God has, that God has forgiven, let alone all the words, the thoughts, and the deeds. I say, surely His hand is not shortened. How massive are our sins? How many are our sins? And yet His hand is not shortened. I think of, of uh, the words of Job, Job of old, how many are mine iniquities and sins, he said. When he looked upon himself and he examined his own heart, he saw how many, the multitude number of sins and iniquities in his own heart. And the Bible says that Job was a just and an upright man. Oh, how much farther down do I fall short? Think about a song. Some of you probably know it. It's titled, When He Reached Down His Hand for Me. <laughs> Once my soul was astray from the heavenly way, I was wretched and vile as could be. But my Savior in love brought me peace from above when He reached down His hand for me. I was near to despair. Can you think about it, where you were when the Lord found you? <laughs> when Christ came to me there, and he told me that I would be free. Then he lifted my feet, gave me gladness complete when he reached down his hand for me. The chorus goes, when my Savior reached down for me. He had to reach way down for me. I was lost and undone without God or his Son when he reached down his hand for me. But I love this last stanza, this last verse. How my heart does rejoice when I hear His sweet voice. And in the tempest to Him I can flee. There to lean on His arm 
safe, secure from all harm since he reached down his hand for me. I'm glad that we have a God who saves. His arm is strong and his hand is mighty to save. And it's not just the one in a lifetime experience, but I'm glad his arm is ever there steady as a rock for me to lean upon in my need, in my longings, and in my, my darkest despair. His arm has never grown weak. And we find in this hymn, along with these verses we've read tonight, that there's a very important truth about the God that saves sinners. And let me just say, salvation is God reaching down to us, as the hymn writer put it. It's not the other way around tonight. I know we're all very well aware of that, but I'll just uh, ring that bell a little bit and move on. But I'm glad salvation's not us reaching up to God. It is God reaching down to man. Salvation is not synergistic, it's monergistic. Salvation is God being moved by His own compassion, by His own love, and by His own volition to reach down into fallen humanity and to draw out those for whom Christ has died. Thank God salvation is of the Lord. Salvation's God reaching down to us, rescuing us, and forgiving us. It involves the arm of the Lord, not the arm of man. The gospel is not man-centered tonight, but it is God-centered. And it tells of what God has done, what He has accomplished, His ability to save the worst and the most vile of sinners. And as we've already quoted, Jonah said, well, in that impossible situation, humanly speaking, salvation is of the Lord. This is the distinction, isn't it, between the religion of man and the religion of God. See, the religion of man asks man, what can you do for yourself? But the religion of God declares this is what God has done for you. And beginning with Cain's sacrifice all the way to the Tower of Babel, and throughout history, the self-righteousness of the Pharisees to the legalism of the Galatian church, man has shown his unwillingness to acknowledge his utter inability to help himself and trust wholly upon the grace of Almighty God. Man is constantly still looking for a way that he can appease the just and the high and holy requirements of God. But he'll never do it. Man has tried to be good, he's tried to be better, and then he has tried to live his best life now. And we see where that has gotten man. Utterly lost. He's tried to reform his ways, turn over a new leaf, and be a better self. But at the end of the day, the only thing good that has been ever found in man is what God has put in him. And I'm thankful for that. Salvation is of the Lord. Does a man have faith? Well, sure he does, but it's the gift of God. God imparts that saving faith into his heart. Does man love God? Sure he does, but it's because God loved him first and that love of God has been born in his heart and as a result, he has a love for God. One songwriter put it, the only thing good in me is him. Isaiah tells us that it takes nothing less than the arm of the Lord to save. There were those in Isaiah's day who despaired of salvation because they were in a very desperate and a very dire situation Isaiah even himself, uh, when he saw that Isaiah had died, he was overwhelmed with grief and 
by God's mercy and grace in the prophet's life, he brought him before the throne of Almighty God where he looked up and saw a thrice holy God upon the throne. But even in this despair and in this situation, Isaiah does not turn the people of God to thoughts of themselves. He does not say to them, your sins have separated you from your God, but you can always try to be better. He does not give them a self-help book and tell them, go read this and Jehovah God has really good plans for your life. He didn't tell them to be a better version of themselves. He doesn't call on them to bring more sacrifices or to do more activity. He doesn't call them to gather around the temple in hopes that somehow they can make God love them or be merciful to them. But rather Isaiah turns their thoughts not to themselves and their own abilities, but to God and His ability. And that is the job of every preacher here. It's not to tell others of our ability or even the ability of our associations or our churches or our fellowships, but it's to tell them of the ability of our God who is mighty to save, who is able to redeem to the uttermost all them who will come unto Him. This is what he's reminding them of, that it's the Lord's hand that's not shortened. Let me say the arm of the Lord is not shortened, that it cannot reach anyone and everyone who has been brought to an end of themselves by the work of the Spirit of God and conviction and will look to Christ and Christ alone. There's no depth of depravity so awful that the Lord cannot save a soul from it. There's no despair so deep that the Lord is unable to stretch His arm to that despairing one. There's no heart so hard that the strong arm of the Lord cannot mend it or break it and mend it. There's no sinner so bound that God cannot deliver him. There is no saint that is in such turmoil that God's grace cannot sustain you and carry you through what you face this evening. I'm so glad that we have a God in heaven whose arm is not shortened. I think about some sinners, and I don't think we find this very often, but it may be that some feel that they're out of the reach of God's grace. They feel that they've sinned maybe too much, or maybe their sins are too many. Or maybe their sins are too awful. They might say, I've not committed a great deal of sin, a lot of sin, but the sin I have committed is is very vile and wicked, beyond imagination. Uh, Maybe there would be a sinner who would say, hey, I've done both. I have sinned much and very badly. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter if you've sinned a lot or you've sinned a a little. It really is irrelevant of how often or how serious you have sinned. The fact is you've sinned. You have sinned against a holy God. And uh, the fact is that it doesn't matter so much that you've sinned in the sense of the greatness or the multitudes of your sin. What matters is God is able to save from your sin. What a blessing that is. Whether it's the least of sins or the greatest of sins, I'm thankful that Sin is sin, and God's going to punish all sin in the lake of fire. The judge of the earth will do right. Here's the point. The issue is not the greatness of your sin, but the greatness of the God who saves from sin. I'm thankful tonight. He is great. He is mighty to save. Mighty is his hand. Perhaps you say, well, I haven't called out to the Lord long enough or loudly enough. and Maybe that's, maybe that's the problem. 
Maybe you feel like you don't have enough faith to even believe what God has said. Well, Isaiah goes on to say this, God's ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. Praise God, it doesn't matter how loud you call. You don't have to call loud to get God's attention. It's not how loudly you call that's the issue, but the fact that you call upon the name of the Lord. It's not what you say and how loud you say it, but it's to whom you say it. And likewise, it is about faith. It's not a matter of how much faith you have, but it's in whom your faith rests. I want to ask you tonight, are you calling upon the name of the Lord? As it is written, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, I was thinking about that. I don't see anything in that promise that uh, talks about how loudly or earnestly someone has to call. It's not the call that saves, but it's the Lord that saves. I'm glad God can hear the lowest whisper. He can even hear the thought and the intent of the heart. You may not even be able to lift up your voice above uh, being able audible noise to hear it, but the God of heaven knows your heart. He knows where you're at. And if you'll come to Him in humility and in brokenness and cry out unto Him from your heart, be merciful to me, a sinner. God will hear your cry. The only time God will not hear you is when you're asking Him for something He ain't offering. So, you know, the Pharisee, he sought a reward for his righteous deeds, didn't he? But God didn't hear his call. He stood out in the street and he poked his chest out and he boasted in all that he did. He fasted and he tithed and he, all of his religious, religious osity and, and yet God didn't hear his prayer, did he? But the publican standing far off, not even willing to lift up his eyes into heaven, he smote his breast. He said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God was merciful, wasn't he? God delights in mercy. You know what I've found is his ears ever tuned to give mercy to those who cry out for it. There's never been a request for divine mercy that has been denied. There's never been a soul that in sincerity and honesty through the work of the Spirit of God has called upon the name of the Lord that the Lord has not answered him or her and shown them mercy. Say, well, preacher, what is the arm of the Lord? Well, I think it'd be better for us to ask who is the arm of the Lord. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's arm. In chapter 53 of Isaiah, he writes, Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The Gospel of John applies these words to Christ in the New Testament. Christ is the arm of the Lord. Again, in chapter 59, verse 16, as we've read, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness. It sustained him. Is that not Christ? Is that not our blessed Redeemer? Is he not God's arm? He is God's righteousness. And he is God's arm. And God sustained him in the work that he came to do. And he accomplished and he fulfilled and he completed the will of the Father in coming into this world. Since the arm of man was unable and unwilling to save himself, praise God, the arm of the Lord came down. And this is where our hope lies, isn't it? I can think of many, many, many times when God has reached down his hand and saved me. You say, preacher, you, you believe you can lose your salvation? God saved you again? No, no, I sure don't. But I'm going to tell you right now, God's saving me every day. God is saving me. He is keeping me saved. 
And if it wasn't for him keeping me saved and saving me continually, I'd be lost tonight, I'd be lost tomorrow. But he is the one who saves us. Think about it. See, the people of God do not experience only one salvation. I mean, we experience the salvation of God. We might say it this way, we experience one regeneration. We experience one new birth. When he births us into the family of God, that is a one-time act. But God is saving us from our sin. He is saving us, present tense, from ourselves. We are being saved. And Paul says that, that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, which says that there's still a future tense to our salvation, which we believe is glorification. And though there's many times that we see God's hand has reached down to save, I, I want to look at three in particular this evening. Number one, God reached down at the cradle, didn't he? See, God reached the first time way down to sinners when his son, when his long, strong arm came into this world of humanity over 2,000 years ago. Before Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary, he was with God. The Bible says he was God. Philippians 2, 6 and 7, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. You see, God could not save us from our sin while remaining in heaven. He had to identify with mankind. There had to be a substitute that was right, a substitute that was holy, a substitute that was perfect. And the only way for God to provide Himself a lamb was to send His only begotten Son into this world to die for sinners. And so God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 16 puts it this way, For verily He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And this is just what Christ did, isn't it? He became like us in every way, yet without sin. He never sinned. He never spoke out of place. He never had an evil thought enter into his heart. He never acted out. Even in rebellion during his teenage years, he was without sin. He had no sin nature. He not only did not sin, he could not sin. And that may not seem like a very big deal to us tonight that are fallen, uh, lowly, sinful men and women, but that's just because we don't understand how high and how holy God is. But Paul describes it as he made himself of no reputation. Now, most of us here tonight are quite jealous of our reputation. And so we guard it very carefully, and we should. We ought to care what people think about us to some degree. Some of us care a little too much what people think about us. And I'll be honest, there's even that 
draw in my own heart to impress and uh, hope people like me. I, I have a hard time with that. I don't want nobody to not like me. But, beloved, it ought not control us. Here's the thing is, He made Himself of no reputation. Christ had a divine reputation. He was, and He is, and He always shall be God. He is the potentate. He is the immortal, invisible King of kings and Lord of lords. As the creator and the ruler of the universe, He was adored by angels. He was praised by saints. And He was feared by Satan. But when He came into this world, He made Himself of no reputation. And the same scripture goes on to say, He humbled Himself and He took upon Himself the form of a servant. Think about that. I mean, imagine that. The king became the servant. <laughs> the one who had always had created beings waiting at his ever beckoning call began to wait upon others. We heard about that. That the very last act before he would go into the garden of Gethsemane and agonize on our behalf and then go to the cross and die in our place was to take his servant's position at the feet of his disciples and wash their feet. Oh yeah, the king became a servant. The highest became the lowest. The richest became the poorest. He who was rich became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. And this is not all. I mean, his obedience was unto death, not just merely obeying the, to the point of death, but that he became the servant of death. He subjected himself to death and he died. I think sometimes we lose focus of the fact that Jesus had to die. He, he did not just you know, leave this realm and go into another realm. His body literally died. They laid it in a tomb. And for three days, His body was there until He, by the Spirit of God, was rose up from the grave. Being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What are you saying? I'm saying He reached down at the cradle when He became man. Number two, he reached down at Calvary when he died for sinners. Earlier I said Christ was made like us in every point, yet without sin. He had no sin nature, no inclination of any kind uh, of disobedience to God or to any law. Furthermore, he, he, he never did any sin, never once transgressed the law. But the Bible tells us that he was numbered with the transgressors. I think about this. How can this be? How can a just God number a sinless man? How can, he, how can He count Him among the transgressors? How can He include them with those who have broken the law of God, who is a just man, who is a holy man? How can this be? Scripture goes on to explain how God hath made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, the Bible says he bore the sin of many. It, it was not his own sin that he bore, but as Peter tells us, who his own self bare our sin in his own body on the tree. And though Christ had no sin of his own, he became our sin on the cross of Calvary. 
So far as God's law was concerned, Christ became like us in every way imaginable, including our sin. Isaiah says, The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all, and He was punished just like we would have been for our sin in our place. He has charged Him as if He was guilty of committing every single one of those sins. And that's why by faith in Jesus Christ I stand justified. Not just as if I never sinned, but just as if I was never even a sinner. As far as God is concerned, all of my sin was wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And when He looked at Christ on the cross, He punished Him for me. And now when He looks at me, He sees His darling Son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't see any sinner that's now been saved, but He sees perfect righteousness right there in me on my behalf for Christ's sake. See, Jesus Christ as a substitute for sinners suffered the punishment under the wrath of God that we deserved. Our sin that was so repulsive that God turned His own face away from His darling Son. He turned out the lights of of heaven and then allow, allowed no man to look upon his son those three hours as he poured out his wrath upon him. While men mocked and reviled Christ God the Father, smote and bruised his own son. And the punishment was so fierce and so terrible that it caused Jesus to cry out while on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet Jesus did it all for me. He did it all for you who have believed. He did it all for sinners, friend. And if you'll come to Him in faith, you can experience the forgiveness and the pardon that His death and resurrection brings. Oh, what a marvelous mystery. Jesus Christ, who is our only hope, became human being like us that He might identify with the people of no hope in order that He might give us a Lively hope by the resurrection of the dead, as Peter said. The Scripture says that Jesus blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. Every, every, every uh, mark against me, every uh, thing that the accuser, the brethren, Satan himself could have levied against me, God nailed it to the cross, and Jesus paid for every one of those sins. Every sin that we would ever commit was recorded. And that record as a witness against us cried guilty, guilty, guilty. But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us placed my, all of our sin, all of my sin upon Jesus. And because Jesus died in my place, my sin was nailed to His cross and it's been blotted out. It's been erased. All the evidence against me is gone. It's, it's not to be found any longer. There's a lot of different language. Some language in the Bible suggests that God has buried it behind him. He's cast it over his shoulder. And everywhere God turns, it's always behind him. He'll never see it again. Others have said that our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. One, one man said, I'm smart enough to know that uh, if I go north eventually long enough, I'll start going south again. Well, but if I go east, I'll never start going west. That's how far our sins have been removed. They've been blotted out. They're no longer there. And all of this, why? Because the Lord's hand is mighty to save. 
I'm justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the hand of God is mighty to save. That's what God did for me, and it's what he's done for some of you, and it's what he can do for all sinners that will call upon his name. Think about the sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, and that's a good sermon. It's good to read that. I like reading it. I don't like listening to the sermon audio's version of it. Whoever reads that sermon, I don't think that's how Jonathan Edwards sounded. But I read Romans 5, 8, and I thought about sinners in the hands of a loving God. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still living in rebellion, while we weren't ever seeking after him, while we were enemies in our mind by wicked works, alienated from God, Jesus died for us. You say, well, how far did God reach down in order to save sinners? Well, he reached all the way down to the bottom. He reached all the way down to our godless, hopeless condition and experienced all of it and its awfulness in our place. Now, it takes a long and a strong arm to reach that far down. To reach that far down into the dregs of sin and drag the sinner back up. Praise God, we see him reaching down at Calvary. We see him when he reached down at the cradle and he came, born of a virgin. But number three, we see God reach down, he reaches down at conversion. Not just at the cradle, not just at Calvary, but in conversion. Let me say, this instance in which God's arm reaches down is when he reaches down for the sinner. At some point in the life of every sinner who has ever been saved by the grace of God, God reached down to them. God came by their way. We can say it a million different ways. There's a lot of different euphemisms we might use to talk about it depending on if you're from the north or from the south or whether you're from the Bible Belt or from the southwest or the midwest or wherever it may be. But I'm glad whatever terminology you want, you want to use, as long as it lines up with the Word of God, I can get, in, I can get on board with you. He came by where I was. I wasn't looking for him. He came looking for me. He reached down to where I was. I wasn't reaching up for him. I didn't want nothing to do with him. I went to church because if I didn't, my mama would have beat my tail and I'd have gone to church anyway. But I promise you, I didn't go looking for God. But thank God on that Tuesday night, God came looking for me. And friend, he would have me. And he didn't leave me alone until he brought me unto himself by his grace and by his mercy and saved me that night. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, I thank God for that moment in my life when conversion took place. I didn't get educated into just being a Christian. I didn't learn my way into being a Christian. There was a point in time in my life when I experienced conversion. Regeneration took place. And I understand it comes from biblical education. I'm not against that. I'm just saying we kind of, uh, there's a lot of circles where, you know, you you just go to church and you'll learn to be a Christian. Beloved, I still believe that the God of heaven reaches down and saves sinners in their sin and he transforms them. And, and hey, I'm not saying my assurance rests on that night or that moment, though I remember those things. My assurance rests in the person of Christ at this very moment. 
The Spirit of God is coming to my heart crying, I'm a father. He bears witness with me that I'm an adopted son, that I've been placed there side by side with Jesus Christ, that I'm not just a technon. I'm a huios, friend. I'm one of the mature sons of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ Jesus. And it's the Spirit of God in my heart that bears that witness. I've got 1 John that I can rely upon. He lets me know real quick when I'm in line or out of line with what God's Word says. I'm not resting in an experience, but I'm glad I've got one. I'm not resting in a moment, but I'm glad there's a moment in my life when the God of heaven stepped down on my road to sin and He crossed me at my point of rebellion and He told me that if I died, I'd die and go to hell. You say, preacher, you believe that? I did that night. I really believed if I'd have died that moment, I'd have went to hell. It wasn't until later that I realized that I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And I can rejoice in that. I didn't know that that night. He saved me. He regenerated me. By His Spirit, He calls us to Christ. And when He does so, He reaches way down to where the sinner is. Gospel's not do your best and God will do the rest. Good grief, where would we come up with these slogans at? Probably some of them pastors Rick Warren trained. <laughs> Thought about 70,000 Baptist churches, well, they ought to have 15 pastors each if he's trained as many pastors as he claims he has. No, it ain't about us, it's about what God does for us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Christ didn't wait for Lazarus to get halfway out of the tomb before he gave him life. He didn't stand out there by Mary and Martha and say, All right, now, if anybody wants to be saved, raise your hand. Lazarus wouldn't have been a candidate. He spoke into that tomb with the voice of God, with the voice of a strong arm. He went all the way down into that tomb where Lazarus lay and the voice of God, that strong arm of God, reached down and lifted him up and brought him out. And this is how God saves sinners tonight. This is how God will be saving sinners next year. And this will be how God will be saving sinners 100 years from now when we're all dead and gone. And by the grace of God, there's still a legacy going on of gospel preachers in America. This will be the way God is still saving sinners till he comes and takes us home to be with himself. He reaches down into hearts and he begins to draw upon the heart through conviction of sin and the certainty of forgiveness. He shows us what sinners we are, but he shows us that Jesus is the friend of sinners. He reveals to us there's none good, but God's not looking for good people. He reveals to us that we're lost, but Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. I'm thankful for that day God got me lost. I'm so glad I got lost so that I could be saved. That's what one songwriter, that's how they worded it. The best day that ever happened in the life of, of the woman at the well was she got lost. She got found out by Jesus. She said, come and see a man who told me all things ever I did. I'm closing. Thank God that his hand reaches down in conversion. Have you ever experienced the mighty hand of God? Have you ever experienced it in conversion? 
I want to say as I close, there's none who are so far from God that he cannot reach them. Some of you that are ministering in places where you've been trying to reach folk and you feel as if there's no hope and they're not reachable, just remember God saved you. God saved me. And if he can save the worst of sinners, he can save them too. God's long arm reaches way down to the very bottom of the barrel and he reaches. We could go on and on and just keep on alliterating it, couldn't we? His arm reaches down in our circumstances. Anybody got some circumstances you're going through tonight? That's a subjective term, but we as Baptist preachers like those because we can use that term and then just preach on whatever we want to. But You got a circumstance tonight? Well, every one of us are in a circumstance. Well, I'm glad his arm's strong in those as well. His arm's strong in your community to reach down and to send revival and awakening and reformation. His arm is strong to reach down into the church where you pastor, where things seem to be going awry and he's able to do the work that he intends to do. His arm is strong. It's mighty tonight. I'm thankful it is mighty to save. And we see three instances where his arm reached down. And I'm thankful that he can do it again and again and again. Let's bow our heads this evening. Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the liberty to preach. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's any sinner here, Lord, I pray you'd be merciful unto them. Draw them unto yourself and save them by your grace. Lord, for those of us that are saved tonight, who've been born again, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to continually lean upon your strong arm. And we're grateful to know that it's there as a strength and a help to us in this life that we live. We love you and thank you, Lord, for what you've done already in this meeting, what you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray.